You're listening to BAU, Business as Unusual, the podcast that is shifting the way we think, interact and transact. All right, Patty. <laughs> Joe. How are you? Very well, thanks. A um, little bit wonky, but feeling... I'm standing on my two legs. Yeah, which is which is good, right? So, you're, you're going through the adaptation that we all go through as parents, which is um, called sleep deprivation. So, arguably to the audience, Patty's either... Probably will get more insightful. I mean, who knows? <laughs> I'm letting go of it. Yeah. I'm in the process but of you, letting go. You know, I think that the, the kind of the way it affects your thinking and processing, I mean, I think is, is really, really interesting is that obviously it's something we're designed to be able to do and endure, but certainly it's kind of the life becomes simpler in, in some ways. So, you know, um, we'll see. We'll see where it takes you. I think this is where sense of humor really like shows its <clears throat> light. Yes. Because... I was putting on the baby carrier like four times over yesterday, inside out every time. And then the time that I would get it on right, I thought it was inside out, so I took it off. <laughs> but so, these are the funny things. I could yeah. laugh through that and Sondrine could laugh through that. But like, yeah. they're the moments you either laugh or you cry at. For sure. Because um, Bubs is crying and it's just a hilarious space. But yeah, yeah definitely the human condition is hilarious in this sort of environment when you growing into a new space and new responsibility and yeah learning how to live with not as much constant sleep it's for sure (laughs) so unique i always struggle with it but i'm getting better at it i think it's just accepting i suppose the human condition a bit more and you just can't be pitch perfect the whole time but um you can set yourself up so you consistently get through things really well i think it's all in the prep for sure that's what family life sort of feels like it builds you up for is that prep so Definitely. when you have those moments and you miss the step you can um easily just have another go at having that step <laughs> <laughs> yeah the simplification of life right it's yeah. kind of you you get rid of a lot of the kind of the uh, accoutrements as they say in france of uh of kind of what you thought what life was really kind of um required but it's definitely i think it's it's it is interesting is because it does i think if you you have a sense of humor about it it's actually quite revealing in terms of kind of what's actually important and what and what isn't and then the kind of the you know i think the roles that we take on as parents is kind of you know to try to be prepared for actually what's what's coming and kind of trying to manage the variable that a that a child is and should be in terms of kind of you know their own emotions and where they're at you know can throw everything off but yet it actually doesn't if you're if you're prepared to be flexible as you're as you're moving like i thought a lot about that through covid for example right this kind of you know people talk about oh you just got to be flexible um but i think think to most parents it's it's pretty much second nature by the time you kind of get into into a couple of kids is that you have plans but ultimately those you know if you try to see those plans through the way that you had them in your head you're dead on arrival (laughs) um but if you if you kind of think about it as that it's directionally this is where we're trying to head um today it may or may not work it actually you know becomes quite a quite a beautiful beautiful life you know in in my mind it's it's just but it's kid-led versus kind of and parent prepared is i think what you're starting to go through i think you hit the nail on the head there as you so often do the hammer that is joe um and just hitting that point about saying that you can have that direction but i think as you say you're going to be caught dead if you try and force that um and try and be that flexible that that 
reaction no what's the word what's the go-to word these days where you're not fluid oh you're resilient uh, you're resilient <laughs> and you are i don't know <laughs> another, another, another buzzword <laughs> insert buzzword yeah exactly and you are that um yeah. But yeah, if you're trying to push something, it just doesn't work. So. Yeah, and we all have that as parents yeah. where you've kind of, you've, you know, you just learn it, the, you either learn it or you don't. I mean, I yeah. think it's, but you learn the hard way. It's I the s- classic. You've had it, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. And I saw a quote the other day that really helped me and I don't know if it's true, but it was from, I think it's Julia Goodwell, Goodwell, Goodell, the uh, lady. the chimp lady. Yeah, yeah, the chimp lady. I was going yeah. just go there, but you, <laughs> Judy, so thanks. And it said... One thing I learned from observing Abe for 30 plus years, however long she was living in the ape world, mm. was that parenting should be fun. And there's so many times when I'm like, you know, you see your child, especially how our three-year-old do some funny things, but like it depends what lens and how you frame up that situation is whether you get like frustrated or whether you actually see the, the funniness and the joy in that. And that helped, whether that quote is true or not, Yeah, um, really helped me through this week and just understanding how special this time is and for sure you just don't get that again so you don't you don't you don't appreciate that quote being shared whether it's true or not <laughs> it doesn't it, it doesn't um, ultimately matter yeah, yeah. and i think it touches on to that point is that you take yourself too seriously sometimes and it um your point around not pushing it into a direction i think you get to enjoy like that can be done across life i think you enjoy life's fruit so much better um mm. when you are prepared but willing to change plan like that's that flexibility or whatever um insert buzzword helps yeah, for sure yeah, and we all know that with covid and everything we've all lived through but how are you mate i'm well, i'm really well yeah, yeah i'm really really well so you're getting a few surfs outside your um zone now yeah yeah now it's you're been liberated. lovely it's been liberated <laughs> yeah back back on the road chasing chasing waves which is which has been nice so to kind of um yeah i think just yeah i guess you know kind of we're super fortunate we've discussed many times on this podcast to live live where we do I, but i think as things open up it's you kind of you start to kind of realize that there's there's these other little pockets that are, that are part of you you know and i think they're they're kind of they're spaces that you you know you miss and i think that's that's been kind of what's been the beautiful part of the last um, couple of weeks is getting back to those and it's not <clears throat> just to do with the surfing it's kind of getting back into these kind of these spots and these places in the world that kind of bring a little bit of a different thing and it's also nice um to get to places where you're not local right so you're kind of you know um because you end up surfing so much and stuff you you end up being local in every lineup that you paddle paddle out out to so it's it's different to kind of be not that and the kind of you know i guess the the kind of the lack of identity is nice it's nice to kind of you know just um be in a different crew um but still see some you know kind of friendly faces and kind of catch up on what the covid what the covid adventure has been like for others as well so yeah um, all good yeah all good good. Um, have you noticed that you're getting different insights from existing in different spaces like that like well yeah it's kind of part of what i think we'll we'll chat about today is that it's kind of i guess everyone everyone has formed like different different takes on it depending on kind of where where they're at so when you um when you go outside of kind of metro melbourne it's kind of they talk about it through this 
it's the same story but slightly different they talk about kind of blow-ins from the country kind of coming in you know and so i think they had like a lot of kind of you know obviously people coming down for holiday homes or what have you but because people were free to travel i reckon there was a lot of people from regional areas who were kind of going into these kind of holiday spots and kind of you know just um kind of coming through right so it's, yeah but it's very similar it's this this kind of thing that i think because something was going on and it was, it was changing stuff for people that they've kind of they've all it's a kind of similar similar tale yeah similar tale with a few different protagonists yeah yeah okay that's an interesting take yeah and it does take us into where we're going we closed out marketers narrative and now we're talking Mm. who controls the narrative yes yes yeah Mm. so I suppose in that situation, who controls the narrative? The one who's aware of it and wants to, or you just live through it? Like, yeah. Or the backbone of, I suppose, hmm. the states being um, different restrictions and where people can go, can't go. That is maybe more where the narrative is being sort of played out because you can only exist within certain spaces, within certain zones, and <laughs> for some, within certain houses. So... Yeah, like, I mean, it's all just a, it's a layer of kind of complexity, you know, topped on top of kind of, you know, a shit show, really, in terms of where, <laughs> where, where it's all gone. But mm. I think a lot of it is, you know, I, I guess I, I try to think about it as kind of what's been, what's been scarring for people and what they've actually kind of um, taken, taken from it, mm. you know. So I certainly think, you know, when you look back on what we've all been through, is that certainly this kind of this restriction, you know, in terms of kind of being able to actually kind of do stuff and kind of being contained are the things that I think people are starting to respond against however they actually kind of want to want to do that so I think you know very much the narrative that we were all told around those things is absolutely the correct the correct narrative in terms of from a health and a kind of disease prevention outbreak perspective but i do think it's kind of now starting starting to shift and people are kind of getting back to okay well that was kind of a health health emergency etc i get all of that but now kind of what's the actual kind of the the next narrative of the kind of the great reopening and i think you kind of see people um you know certainly kind of the extremes extremes of behavior kind of starting starting to come through it certainly it felt you know like i guess the closest we'll probably get into our lifetime of kind of what happened after like world war ii you know when kind of returning troops or a country would get liberated it you know certainly there's a few weekends there where it's felt just like that people are back and they're kind of wanting wanting to do stuff but i think then about kind of you know around the kind of the great reopening narrative and kind of what we're actually actually going through is that you look forward and you kind of see what's going on in the UK and other places is that, you know, it doesn't go away. It's kind of, but COVID becomes something that is lived with just much like the flu is, is lived with. And that that's part of, I think what's going to be, what's going to be interesting for us all as we kind of start to move towards people actually getting sick and kind of what that actually means for us. For sure. And I think it's like that reopening and then it's the resettling. It's settling into the, a new reality, like it's said so many times, but it is a new reality of living with something, an endemic rather than a pandemic. For sure. And having to deal with that um, and how we all process that in our lives in different areas. I suppose trying to figure out that control, the narrative and pulling it back to that, it's it's sort of where you sit within the greater story and within your own story and how you live in society Mm. and how you play in with that narrative of push, whether you're part of that, the science health dichotomy or that perspective or whether you're more 
another perspective. It's interesting to see how that overarching narrative is played about for people's lives and how they've responded to that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. And how it's going to get cast into the future because Mm. at least from an Australian perspective, I feel like the messaging has been one of the worst going Mm. out. It's just we... I don't know, for people listening in from across the world, like we had... AstraZeneca come in, you couldn't get... They said, don't get vaccinated by that. It's terrible. And then the next week it said, oh, anyone can get vaccinated by that. Don't worry. Yeah. All good, mate. Yeah. (laughs) So, they're just trying to figure out where people sat with it, but led with very strong opinions, but then went back on their opinions. Mm. So, it sort of created this vortex that was going both ways. And it was very... Some people would jump on the first vortex that was spinning right and some would jump on the left that was spinning left. Yeah. And we're still feeling the momentum of that clash. For sure. And it became, you know, I think it's 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 the challenge that, you know, a lot of democracies going through at the moment is things things that are opinion-based become politicized. Yeah. And what I what I mean by that is that COVID's interesting because it's it's universal in terms of actually that it's that it's affected um, everyone, of course, differently, but it's actually been a constant in society. It's something that connects everyone. Mm. And in doing that, then you start to see the different, um, I guess, kind of um, points of view, which I think is becoming more and more prevalent. You know, so for example, like the AstraZeneca thing, that was that was a medical perspective, and it's not the wrong perspective, but it was politicized to the point of that. So we had you know blood clotting actually coming coming through. That clearly kind of sells because it hits you know, and it was also it wasn't just blood clotting. Like I think it was blood clotting with twenty um, year olds, and they were fine. That would have been different, but it actually hit exactly the cohort who they were actually encouraging to take the the vaccination and if you actually read the ama advice it never said what was actually coming coming out it said it basically it's a it's a very very small minute risk that is actually outweighed by the benefits of taking this but as certainly not the message um that that came across so it wasn't the ama who put that out but what it was is it became politicized in terms of kind of you know just people picking that up as content and actually starting starting to tell tell that story and we see that time and time again you know we've seen that through um the protests we've seen that through kind of all different areas of what covid's been about even with kind of the stimulus responses in terms of kind of putting putting that across is that there's um there's different you know ultimately agendas and points of view that are being put out behind the people that are behind the content that's actually being put out there so it's not disinformation um per se like i don't think that does it justice really it's a perspective Mm. that has been put out there quite rightly but it's not framed in the bigger bigger context and i think that's a real challenge for us today is understanding who actually put out the original source content you're listening to bau business as unusual the podcast that is shifting the way we think interact and transact your hosts patrick beggs of per production a production house that works with organisations to create media that strengthens culture and communicates that culture to the world. And Joe Rogers, CEO of The Contenders, a brand agency famous for crafting brands which deliver results for those who work for them, shop for them and support them. For more information, head to baupod.co. And if you find this podcast insightful, please help us by telling a friend and rating us on iTunes. Thank you. Now back to our conversations. Yeah, and then also decoding our own brains to realise that there's multiple sources of truth to a degree. Yep. Uh, but it's just really hard when you're going through a medical 
pandemic because you really do need one source of truth for cohesion but it's a there's multiple in there and there has been throughout mm. the pandemic so it's really hard and it's a sticky 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 place to exist for sure in. so yeah. with that in mind there's this story that i've been going through in australia mm. um which is hitting close to home because i definitely follow scott galloway and scott's very much anti-facebook anti yes um sort of big not publications platforms he calls them publications mm. being monetized and he raises some great points around some horrible things that they've let go um and there's genocide that's been tied to some of these companies there's yep. disinformation there's corrosion of democracy going on but then there's this guy in australia called friendly geordies who's a comedian who's used these platforms for his own benefit yes he's yep. become like a household name but what he's done with this platform is actually shone a light on New South Wales government and how corrupt it is. And we've actually lost a premier and deputy premier because of his work, arguably. Yeah, for sure. It's been attributed to his work. And he was like very much, he's a clever boy and it's hmm. um, take, he's very much a labour-orientated person, for disclaimer. He has some ex- Labor reps on there. Some of hold the seat of power here in Australia as the mm. as the federal government. But he pointed the light and shone it so humorously and so cleverly and so new age. Like he's a YouTuber, For sure. um, and he sat there and made fun, but also shone light to some really harsh truths that were going on around corruption and around um, funneling of money to support seats and to keep mates in power and just the how. <laughs> He sort of showed how it's so ingrained that they didn't mm. really give a crap. They just thought they were above it. It's sort yeah. of his narrative that was taking there. Yeah. And now that's come about. We've lost the Deputy Premier and the Premier for New South Wales. But yeah. on top of that, now we're getting at the federal level here in Australia. We're starting to talk about stepping back um, how much power or how we want to frame these publications. So Facebook, um, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, um, What's the other one? Snapchat, oh, Snapchat, and then TikTok. we've got TikTok. Yeah. So we should how, start dancing. So yeah, we can be on how TikTok. they start framing that? <laughs> yeah. How they start framing that, and how whether they're publishers or not. Um, mm. And he brings into the point that you shouldn't. And where that federal arguments come from is a really interesting one. Sure. When you're talking from friendly Geordie's perspective, the only reason that the Liberal government here in Australia has taken notice is because some of the Liberal government who are at the top echelon of the Liberal Party at a federal level. Children have been watching it. No, have been watching it. No, have been the center of hmm. um, harassment or have been like yeah. hurt a little bit by their family power. Yep. Like because they're in the spotlight, somehow some of that family has mm. copped it, which is uh, really unfortunate for that family. For sure. But it's just so funny how it has to come to that point for them to take notice. And they are the party in Australia that has always mm. said free speech. And now. The narrative has changed and I, it's an interesting place because where they're both coming from mm. it's funny because i don't know in australia just for like stats it's pretty much 70 percent in rural australia that's owned by murdoch like yeah if you pick up anything out there it's it's murdoch press and that sure. can be said across the world in certain spaces so whoever's shaking hands with murdoch essentially can be assured a few seats sure <laughs> But, I mean, there's a lot in that. So, to, I just don't know no, where to go with it. Like, well, there's a lot in that the to unpack. Yeah. There's a lot in that to unpack. I mean, I th 
to me, the first part of it is is the framing of kind of you know these platforms as kind of as publishers. So yeah. to to understand that, I mean, I think the point that kind of you know Galloway and others make about that is they kind of they take all the benefits of publishing, but they take none of the actual, um, I guess, kind of responsibility that comes with with effective um, publishing. I think the the thing where I get a bit off the bus with you know commentators like Scott Galloway is that I think he for whatever reason has quite a negative worldview that starts to kind of probably color the way that you start you could think through this because for every bad actor there's also good actors um but i think what's happened with things like facebook etc is that they are they are part of the problem that we actually face but there's no kind of commonality that brings us back back together anymore but i think what you're starting to see is the kind of the 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 good actually starting to to come through right so it's it's classic if you look at the adoption of any media um through human history is that there's always um vice and there's always kind of divisiveness that actually comes when that media is actually adopted <laughs> until it's actually under understood so the newspaper was no different right until they actually That's started true. to establish editorial boards um, and actually kind of started to put together charters of actually what it meant to run a masthead and actually what it meant to be an editor right when they were first published you can go back in history they were just as divisive they were like bloggers on the side of the street yeah totally when the, when the printing press the became model. yeah that, that was the people model. would just make up their news yeah they would make up their news yeah. and kind of put it it's across. very similar to where we are very similar to yeah. where, where we are but i i do think when you when you kind of look forward it's it's ultimately it's the power the consolidation that's the true issue in terms of that there's not enough probably ways to break through but people have figured that out right when you actually kind of look at look at youtube etc i mean i think the ultimate thing i always say to people around these types of um kind of media is that it's a reflection of what you look at right so part of kind of understanding that which i think the younger generation coming through they're very digitally literate yeah. They really understand that the algorithm, right? Yes, the algorithm can change, but even they know that. They're like, oh, right, I'm getting that because I watched that. And they, they kind of understand that that's the way that the system actually works. But I think then you start to see kind of people start to go, okay, well, I'm like this. I have people who are like this, so therefore I can put out this type of type of message. So it's, it's not... Um, it's not all bad. There's actually kind of good that can come from it, but there's certainly a long way to go around some yeah. of the standards of kind of what gets away from it. But ultimately, it's where we're at as a society, right? So it's, you know, we've we've got to start to think about kind of, you know, that ultimately it comes down to we're quite divided. Um, we don't necessarily see that. And there's much there's much bigger issues to, to fix in terms of kind of where we're actually at around narrative. But a lot of people, I think of kind of, it's become, you're expecting to get challenged on stuff, which I think is kind of good in a way. But the part we maybe have more work to do around is kind of actually in understanding where it comes from. So the actual source, source of the media, like your point around Murdoch Press, like if kind of, I don't really have a problem with it, but I, I kind of understand where the agenda is coming from, much like when I read The Guardian, you know, like for like, one's more left, one's more right. And you can read the same and you should read both because it kind of gives you... No one you, does. That's the no, problem. No, but this, this is what I think we're, we're faced yeah. with is that 
it's well you do but you yeah know, i think you're special, <laughs> you're special. Yeah, well, we all know that's that. yeah. the classic when i lived in the uk this is you know this is hilarious i used to go to this um little kind of uh, newspaper shop in nottingham on a on a sun- sunday morning generally hung over uh, before playing park football but i would buy the financial times the guardian and i would buy the the people on a sunday so i could get all the kind of the footy the football gossip and I'd kind of um, pick up the kind of <laughs> the times for the Guardian, and so like just this random kind of assortment of kind of yeah. you know like well, basically left, right, random, left right, right, left right, left right. But I think the randomness that's part of the challenge is that once you make these decisions now, you don't have ever get challenged in it. Mm. And I think that's where the chamber, yeah, like it's and but it's almost like I don't know. It's it's a fault. It's a fault in us, in terms of kind of actually as we look at these things, is that I don't think we seek the challenge because we get people get kind of angry about people having a different different um, perspective. But I think we used to, I think, be able to kind of have a bit more discourse. Maybe you know I think some of the stuff I think about is like online. The anonymous stuff is a real issue. Oh yeah, right. Because it's I mean, and I think that's you know if I could change one thing, I would change I would change that. Like it's, but it's it's actually like when you you can't engage in that anymore because you get this this it's just why why it's not a it's not a discussion and I think that's you know that's part of kind of what I think gets in the way of these point of views is that they get attacked by all these kind of like random anonymous accounts and then people just get you know you can't deal with it you just can't deal with it so I think it kind of leaves us well it's an interesting one like well I hate to quote Prince Harry but Prince Harry was trying to like um, I was doing a bit of a media audit. This is sort of how I've landed in this space of... Plus you love them. Yeah. Yeah, I do love them. <laughs> no. Um, just understanding who controls the narrative and what's going on and what's going behind it and then landed in this very middle ground between understanding where Friendly Geordies is coming from and understanding where Scott's coming from. And for me, it's the algorithm that needs policy because I feel like yeah. that's actually... It's the sort of... For me, I... Don't sit the same with how you feel about Rupert. I feel good on him. That's how he's made his money. But I yep. think it's time for it. A bit like Facebook to step back because mm. it's just own 70% controlling your narrative. And now it's now apparently, according to Prince Harry and his stats, it's yep. 70% controlling, say, anti-climate. Like there's about 12 accounts yep. on Facebook and on social media that are disseminating this information. And because it's sensational, very much like Rupert's model, it's just very digital and very clever with its algorithm. Sure. It gets front and center because feeds are unique to the individual. Everyone else, everyone's seeing a different feed. Correct. And I think, I think what it's really showing us is that our psychology is so... We're so easily played with. We have mm. been for years. Um, but this is so... in in us hmm. now we see everything and yeah. it's quite easily manipulate us whether we know it or not i know you say that the young people are very clever they are very p- clever but they're probably the most depressed anxious people <laughs> or yeah. young generation that's ever come through in this world like who have been exposed to that media so especially sure. young girls for sure like in terms of body image and everything so oh, they might sure. be onto it but what it's actually doing to their self-worth self-image is crazy but then, you, that then you go to hmm. Friendly Geordies, and they're like, keep yeah. going. But he obviously wants his money to keep rolling in, and he's obviously called out some power. So, yeah, there's good I, and bad and everything. I, there is, there is. But, but where I landed, but I wanted your perspective. All right, you go. One thing was, 
how do you how would you ever produce a publication that mm. was like Joe going hungover yeah. to the um, <laughs> Nottingham, <laughs> Nottingham and you incorporate <laughs> yeah. all of that? Yeah. How could you produce something that is for that middle ground? Because arguably mm. in Australia, we do have quite actually a big cohort who are sitting in the middle somewhere. For sure. Yeah. Well, I guess it's like, I think you produce individuals, you don't produce media that is that is like that. So I think that's the part that, you know, I ultimately think like it's it's always kind of, you know, I think about that it takes a while to catch up to kind of actually, you know, the the bad that is actually in life. But it's broadly um, it's always mirrored with with broadly a good good response, you know, and I think but you just have to take a longer term perspective. So there's no doubt that the generation coming through that weren't taught about kind of digital media fell hook, line and sinker into kind of that it's that it's this projection of image that kind of basically how many likes you get equals how good you are there is because ultimately underneath it all they're actually looking for validation that they also weren't getting in any other part of the world as because the other parts of that effect is that both parents and this is the part where i do think it's a much broader issue both parents were working the school system wasn't actually set up to be able to actually talk about this in the sense of a curriculum this new media that you're actually working with but yet they were playing with it right so kind of actually you know being encouraged to use these things because it was new and novel everyone being on top of it it was a kind of a youth-based trend thing but with no one at home um, broadly to kind of actually monitor where it went now i think the the reality of all of that is that everyone's on facebook for one facebook skews super old it's not actually a facebook issue anymore in terms of where this is at but things like kind of snapchat TikTok, all of these kind of things is that I think the literacy around it and having literate individuals in the media can actually help um, sway some of, some of these things because ultimately these these things are all commercial entities, right? Even the Guardian, um, you know, is kind of is as left leaning as it is is a commercial entity. For sure, right? it has to it has to make money. But I think having people who can take in different different perspectives and work through stuff, it's you know, I think we'll see. Like I, you know, I'm I'm positive about it because I believe I believe you broadly have faith in humanity's way to kind of actually figure out stuff. But we're at a dangerous point where we've got some really big kind of things to solve, and a lot of kind of what we're talking about, a lot of the information that is actually the right things to be thinking about in terms of finding a solution it's like climate change right it's like you know um i was listening last night on the way back from the city you know there's something like 500 lobbyists there from the from the fossil fuels thing and then kind of on this panel they're talking about it and one of the persons like oh blah 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 typical you know but then someone said quite rightly well that's true but there is 20,000 people here from environmental groups right so it's kind of that part of the narrative depending on what you read i'd argue if you read the guardian they would focus on the fossil fuel kind of um advocacy not necessarily kind of delve as deep into the environmental piece if you read solely murdoch you'd probably be getting the bloody greenies kind of trying to kind of destroy the thing but the truth to me is in the middle it's going to take all of this stuff to to work through and you know i think when i think a lot about it it always comes back to inequality this this idea that kind of the middle of our lives was kind of where the good sad and society is actually what's under threat mm. right so this idea that the good middle who kind of allows us to kind of navigate these things and go yep 
hear you brother we are burning this this planet to pieces yep hear you we still need to actually be able to kind of keep these jobs together maybe we can do both so this a b solution that's my true concern for where we're actually at in the world it's the a and b but the generation coming through like i do when you talk to to younger people who are you know kind of like 12 to kind of 20 they are a plus b you know they're not they're not probably where we're at but the, the issue they face is is this inequality that's actually that's actually baked in is that it's kind of you either have or you don't and that's gonna be i think the bigger thing mm. that unsticks us hmm. interesting take when you were running through that it made me think you're talking about this narrative that's been going on in the paper of climate mm. But it makes me think back to our conversation last week, and that was around markets as narrative. And that was that the actual real narrative, a bit like inequality, is being missed because it's so easily to polarize and keep your audience on side by being throwing shit over the fence constantly. Yep. But you, last week you were saying it's the digitization of the grid that everyone's missing and everyone's trying to be like, I'm a, tels- I'm a Tesla, I'm a car company. And you're like, well... Hmm. Not Tesla isn't a car company. They're actually digitizing the energy grid. And we're sort of missing that conversation. And it feels like that's something that because of the polarization of the way that the media ecosystem works is Mm. something that we do miss is having the real progressive, I'm doing exclamation marks here, conversation that will move us forward. Mm. So the answer to our question around how do you get that middle ground is, I suppose, onus on the reader but then how do you have that com- conversation? If, if it is up to the journos, there's no space for the journos to have that because the editorial now is so A versus B. It is. So it is. Yeah. it's an interesting space. I don't know how it'll get changed from there, but I'd love to see an organization try and tackle <laughs> that space. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I understand. I totally understand what you're saying. Like, I think the, the narrative piece of the, this, this polarization and narrative I would argue who's always been there, yeah. you know, but between the two, but it's the reconciliation of those narratives and be able to go, everyone broadly has a point and being able to kind of actually reconcile stuff that comes through. And it's very complicated yeah. now, right? You try to, um, yeah, try to take the mid ground on Twitter on something and you just get smashed by both, right? Which is, which is interesting, but it's kind of, I think, you know, I often think about it as like, okay, well, kind of being moderate and kind of working through things is ultimately how society has, has progressed. Like there's, I agree with everything you're saying around that we need checks and balances to kind of technology companies for sure, right? They absolutely need to be put in place, but there's, there's a way we can think about that. That's positive in terms of that. It's not about taking power away from them. It's actually just about, well, they shouldn't be doing that and this kind of this collective middle but there's there does seem to be something that is a little bit off off kilter and i think that's the hard the hard part is that it's becoming um a bit class warfare um between those who really have and most of the people in the world now who don't and you know if you look back through human history that's where every conflict comes from mm-hmm. right every conflict comes from you get this um, disproportionate wealth effect held by a smaller and smaller group of people and then the general populace revolts oh, at some level so we're we gonna leave who controls that <laughs> <laughs> yeah <clears throat> i guess to me though we all do like that's how i would cl- how we close it all out yeah. i think it's just trying to understand i guess the main point we made empowering yourself yeah, the main point I think we've made through all of this is just about being able to see them as as narratives. They're not, you know, I mean, Truth. I think you said that last episode. They're not 
it's not all fact. It's a construct. So, you know, the price that you pay for an apple, you know, is not. Um, so like, I mean, the actual fruit, not the, not to the device, um, maybe a banana, I'll pick a, pick a banana, but that's, that's kind of, so there's a seasonal effect that goes with it. There's an, ultimately there's a cost to produce that good. But then in terms of kind of the scarcity that actually goes around bananas and the nutritional value and why they're on hold is all constructed and kind of built built around that so there, there's always narrative in in everything it's just being able to understand i think that simple simple truth is that we're human there's always a story attached to an object or a market or a place or an agenda yeah. always and it doesn't mean that it's good or bad and i think that's you know what we have really unpacked through this is that we're now labeling the narrative as good or bad like you know, that's and that's bullshit. a dangerous spot to be it's super exactly. dangerous yeah. so we've all become the editor <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. But yeah. we haven't. Un- we've become the editor, but we've become the editor that hasn't reasoned yeah. and gone. <laughs> we haven't done the work. <laughs> we haven't gone. Where's this coming from, and why are they putting it out there? Yeah, we've gone. Yes. Yeah, we don't even acknowledge the source. Like yeah. I think we sort of pick sides and then stick out. Yeah, that's... it does feel. It's kind of sad yeah. that that's what that's what's happened with with discourse. Easy to govern on. though. Easy to govern. <laughs> yeah. Divide and conquer, baby. Yeah, sure, but it doesn't. That doesn't work in the long run either. Oh, for sure. Yeah. But we play a short game politics. True. That's true. I mean, we've had this discussion off yeah. air before around the, <laughs> around the three three year cycle in Australia. It's just bananas. Speaking of um, speaking of banana references and adding another one in, it's crazy. Yeah, absolutely crazy that we run a three year. Yeah, so it's, the mud is thick. Um, the mud is thick. The mud is thick. But yeah, I suppose controlling the narrative. I like your point there. Is we all do really and and empowering yourself to understand that and and look deeper into the what's behind the story and see the narrative that's really just try to understand yeah before you comment right it's yeah um you know as but it, as i do think i do think that's you know that's a reason take it's very very difficult in the kind of in the in the heat of battle so if you're kind of having a convo with someone and someone's just naming random fact after random fact (laughs) at you it's very it's very hard not to kind of want to take that want to take that on and try to stay in a kind of you know okay i'll i'll hear that i'll hear that space but i think i do believe that that's what's happened to us is that it's become that we believe we should go that's good or that's bad and that's what we're sitting thinking rather than just taking it in and kind of being like oh okay that's a bit you know that's sounds strange um that that's that's what you think but okay you're right (laughs) that's well that's what i think it's having we've taken it so personally because it's now it's like this team it's this drive it's like you have to believe we've sort of bought into the narrative so hard that if someone's challenging it that you sort of believe you have to defend it even though you don't even know why you're doing it because you just you have to defend it you can't hear that person it's this weird it's it's like what happens if i've had an argument with my family yeah it's because it's family so personal it's really hard to step back and and understand where that other person's coming from because your whole tie of all we past history like me and my brother would have a fight and it's taken us so long to unpack that and yeah. like realize you started when you were four and yeah, six and it's arguing the same over thing Lego. Going on, right? <laughs> it's just yeah. replaying over different things and you have to really be in a certain space to understand and let that person have that say. Otherwise you bite back and you're you're back in Lego Wars. You are, you are. And yeah. yeah, it does feel, you know, yeah, I mean, there'll be people who are, you know, much more kind of, I guess, kind of dug into kind of the science and kind of, you know, the the ethics and the construct of all of this than, than the two of us. Yeah. It's 
it's an issue when you kind of, you know, you can always play, play this out is that it's, it's, it's harder to, to sit in, sit in that space and kind of, you know, have those types of conversations because there's a lot in, there's a lot in the way now. Mm. Right. And it's, you know, arguably when maybe media was simpler that we all watched the same thing, we could kind of all come back to that. There was like a moderator, like we've kind of spoken about that before is that, you know, I've always looked at like when I was a kid, like, you know, we had this show in Canada called the national, it was on every night and Peter Mansbridge was basically, it was what Peter said was broadly what was going to happen. Right. And he didn't have really an agenda slightly left cause it's uh it's the CBC, but it's, that's what Canada felt. So when you would have the discourse, you'd be like, oh yeah, but Peter Mansbridge said that. <laughs> and so, yeah, I can see what they're saying. And it felt, it felt balanced. It felt like we had a parent kind of looking, looking after us as we kind of went. Whereas now it feels a bit like, you know, we've been kids with no parental supervision left to get after it. Yeah, which I don't know whether we need to... It's an interesting one because I think Victoria definitely has played the narrative as, as a government, has played mm. the very stern parental yes. almost... Yeah, Father, I don't know if many, Father Dan. Yeah, mm. Protestants out there, but very like that vibe. Yeah. Um, but whether we need more more respect than that is is a question i don't know if we deserve it but um <laughs> it's, it's well, an interesting one it is it's like, i don't know but i think coming back to your point and, and trying to close it because i could chat about this forever and ever is that i think empowering people to understand that as much they help construct the narrative as, mm. as much as anyone for sure and seeing you know i think those are the main takeaways from kind of this thing about narrative that we've been exploring is is two things one is exactly that is that you're you're part of the construct so kind of under understanding understanding that but actually under you know seeing the world for what it is which is that there's always a narrative but that narrative isn't necessarily good or bad it's a thing so being able to kind of actually look at it as a thing not yeah. necessarily a part of kind of you, something you have to take on at an identity level something you have to defend always something you can't hear anyone else about it's just it's a concept it's a thing but we all do it with with everything whether that's yeah. the price of houses the price of fruit or kind of in our political discourse narrative is everywhere mm. and it's always trying to push us one way or the other it's true one thing you go you <laughs> no this is just my reflection no, no, you I, when you were saying that i had this thought it was like we're in the attention economy mm. and we're at this inflection point where, um, as you're saying, wealth is so disproportionately held at the top echelon or where the bottom echelon, depending on models, depending on how you view it. Yep. But then attention economy really swings where narrative is coming from and what people believe. But I don't know. There's an interesting point there because yep. there's so many more eyes than those that have than have not. Yep, for sure. For sure. Or did I say that right? There's so many eyes that have not than have. Yeah. So that controlling of the narrative, I don't know, it's an interesting space. For sure. And I think that's where we're going kind of next, right? With what's 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 going on with work in in this kind of this day this day and age of kind of, you know, even just the simple thing around the kind of the spoils of kind of doing work or disproportionately going to the, you know, the kind of the super superstars of any type of field because digital has done lots of things and, you know, in terms of we've spoken a lot about that from narrative perspective, but also with work. You know, this this idea that if you're the best at 
at what you do disproportionately now, you're actually going to command more and more value of that particular ecosystem that you actually actually sit in. That's that's become reality, um, much as it has in other areas like from sport through to kind of and now we're starting to you know see that you know in every part of our kind of lives is that there's you know this this um, wealth distribution effect that happens with digital because there's no geo um, geographic border to it in certain areas is becoming more and more that you know certain people are taking more spoils than than others right mm, for sure and on that work one is a little tease where i've been thinking is in australia we've got so much work opportunity and people are I feel like the pandemic's made people really think what is work for them. I feel like yep. work is being questioned. Yep. And then what is it? What does it mean to work? Now we've got different countries positioning themselves. Portugal now. Mm. What is it? Your bros can't call you past. <laughs> yeah. 5 p.m. 5 p.m. Bros yeah. being your boss, your yep. colleague. That's bros Done. gender neutral. Done. Just so we're there. Yep. And yeah, it's just interesting the way work has been reimagined, which I think is a positive thing, but there's a lot of different change there because, yeah, in Australia yeah. now, because what the pandemic's done is really shifted the workforce. Yeah. It's impossible so, to get a hospitality staff. It's in, yeah. um, and then on top of that, it's in really hard at the moment to get different skilled labor here. Um, sure. And it really shines a light on what Australia created in the past when borders were really hmm. flung open. Like our fruit industry, we've been talking about bananas. <laughs> we have, there's no one to pick them. <laughs> exactly, because we didn't pay people fairly. Yep. Um, but that's still next week. It's that's a, still next week. So there's a few parts that we'll kind of explore in that, I think is obviously it's like the, you know, the, the construct of the nine to five or the kind of, you know, the kind of that... Um, or nine to nine. Nine to nine, <laughs> wherever you live, or kind of, you know, kind of... I guess the absurdity of that in the in the digital age will will kind of pick apart a little bit, and then also starting to think about exactly what you're touching on there is kind of these kind of you know just that you should do the job, this kind of this minimum wage kind of men mentality so that kind of exists in culture. So you know that'll probably take us three or four episodes, I reckon, to to dig through. Ready for Santa? Yes, <laughs> yeah, just in time. Let's hope we land that. Um, will Santa have a job? Stay tuned. <laughs> Next week. That's something you could write about. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Joey. Cheers, buddy. Thank you for listening to BAU Business as Unusual. Subscribe and learn more at baupod.co. That's baupod.co.